just did it. Um, well, awesome. I'm so excited to be here tonight at the Suffolk campus. Uh, it's cool. As, as Cord said, it kind of feels like family. It feels like, you know, when you go to Thanksgiving and you see all of your cousins and aunts and uncles, right, that you haven't seen in a while. And, uh, and so, you know, we are one church, just like we are, you know, your families are one family, but it's so cool to, um, to reconnect with people I haven't seen in a while. So um, as Cord said already, but I'm going to reiterate in case you are new here and get confused, I am not Pastor Justin. So I'm standing in for him. He is in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip right now uh, with a whole team. And so they are making their way back soon. Um, but I'm the student ministries pastor at City Life. And so I know lots of the kids this is the RC section. Most of them are serving uh, back there, but I told them to get hyped. That was pretty good. That was good. Um, but I, yeah, I'm the, the student ministries pastor, and so uh, I'm just, I'm excited to be here uh, tonight to speak with you all. Honored to have the opportunity to do it. So I, I want to jump straight in. We are going to be reading out of John chapter 16, verse 33. And if you don't have your Bibles, if you do have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there because we'll be in it um, for a little bit, but if not, it's on the screen, and you can just read it there. And so this is what it says. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you, ha you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for overcoming. God, thank you for your peace. I pray tonight that as I speak, uh, that, that I would do more than just inform, but that you would help me to impart. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do. I pray that you bring peace. I pray that you, um, you turn hearts, Lord God, and, and, uh, and that you, you draw people nearer and closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm a little bit of a word nerd. I love words. And uh, I know because I listen to your podcast that uh, Pastor Justin does this sometimes. We like participation at City Life. And so, but I'm not sure I'm going to get much participation out of this because it might be a little too nerdy. But I, I love uh, oxymorons. Is anybody into oxymorons? Are there any oxymorons that you can think of off the top of your head or that are your favorite? Yes, we've got one. Go ahead. Shout it out. Jumbo shrimp. Perfect example. If you don't know what an oxymoron is, it's, it's a figure of speech that seems to contradict itself, right? Any other ones like that? Stand fast. Okay, that's a good one. What's the other one? Yeah, you stole, you read my notes. That's going to be my punchline. Yeah, Microsoft works. <laughs> that's an oxymoron, right? Um, some other ones. Jumbo shrimp was on here. Seriously funny. Larger half, if you're arguing, arguing over who's going to have the larger half of the pizza pie, right? It doesn't make sense. Pretty ugly, virtual reality, living dead, and Microsoft works, right? Um, yeah, so those are oxymorons, just examples. And tonight I'm going to be speaking on an oxymoron, the oxymoron of world peace, your pastor uh, took a week off, and I decided to tackle the hardest subject I possibly could. We're going to talk about world peace tonight at the Suffolk campus. But world peace is an oxymoron, and this is why, because the two parts of this phrase are contradictory, right? When you think about the, the word world, when you think about the words associated with world in Scripture, when we see world, uh, the word world or worldly used, it's used in association with secular culture, right? 
with wickedness or carnality. It's used to talk about temporal affairs, right? Vanity and materialism and greed, uh, hostility towards the gospel, disorder and chaos. You don't even have to look at your Bible to uh, associate the world with disorder and chaos. You can just turn on the news, right? You think about uh, Las, the Las Vegas shootings. You think about, um, you know, the, the, the hurricane in Puerto Rico. You think about um, Charlottesville, right? You can see the disorder and the chaos in the world. And then there's that word peace, the exact opposite of everything that I just described, right, national tranquility, harmony, concord, and unity, security and safety, quietness and calm, wholeness. World peace is an oxymoron, right? World peace, it seems, is an impossibility. And yet here Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, you will have peace even as you are here on earth. He says to his disciples, and he says to us that peace on earth is possible. What's funny about this, so, so world peace is, is, is contradictory, but Jesus' statements seem to be contradictory as well. So he says, right, uh, I have told you all this so that you may have peace. Well, what is the I have told you all this? You're going to have to read uh, John chapter 16 for homework. But if you do, you'll see that leading up to this phrase, leading up to this point, Jesus is uh, he, he's talking to his disciples and kind of laying out the, the plan for what's about to happen, right? And he talks some about the joy, the, the fulfillment of, of him uh, taking on the messianic role, role of Savior, right? He talks a bit about that, but he also talks a lot about the pain and suffering that the disciples were about to experience. He, he uh, talks about that he's going to leave them. In fact, he was just moments away from being arrested, uh, from, from being put on trial and then tortured and then crucified and killed, right? Uh, he tells his disciples in John chapter 16, uh, I'm going to leave you. What he really meant was I'm, I'm going to die. He says that they're going to be filled with sorrow. And even as they're filled with sorrow, that the world would rejoice despite their pain. And he said, lastly, that they would all scatter in fear for their lives. And then he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace. It's an oxymoron, right? It, it, it seems like it doesn't make sense. And just in case uh, you're, you're still not convinced of how confusing Jesus could be in this moment, he goes on to say, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. So peace does not mean the elimination or the avoidance of sorrow, the elimination or the avoidance of, of trials, right? Peace then must, must mean something different. And I think that the next phrase is what helps us to understand how Jesus is defining peace. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He says that in the present tense, but he hadn't yet, right? He, he uh, from the perspective of the disciples and his followers, was, was still not really uh, uh, shaken as, as the Messiah, right? And Jesus knew himself that he was about to be killed. And still, he says in the present tense, I have overcome the world. It's either you believe that Jesus is crazy or you've got to believe that Jesus is seeing the world from a different perspective. Although 
He hadn't yet made it to the other side of his suffering. He could see his present pain from the vantage point of eternity. And so I, I have a few points tonight because if you're a person living in this world, so everyone in this room, right? If you're a person living in this world and who has encountered and experienced the chaos, disordered, frustration, suffering that comes with being a person of this world, then you probably could use some peace, right? And so Jesus says to us as people of the world that we can experience that. And so there must be something about the perspective, the understanding of peace that Jesus has that can help us. And so tonight we're going to look at that. I've got three points. And the first one is this, that the peace of God is eternal, not based on right now perspective. I love this. I told you I'm a word nerd. If you look up the, the Greek word for peace uh, that's used in this verse, it's the Greek word irene, which means when all essential parts are joined together. Jesus was able to speak of peace because he was speaking from a place, from a perspective where all the parts had already been pieced together. I, uh, anybody in here into puzzles? Okay, a good amount of hands, okay. How many, participation moment again, how many, what's the biggest puzzle you've, you've put together in terms of like pieces? Katie. 1,500, okay, go ahead. 2,000, higher, let's go higher. Anybody higher? No, oh gosh, I got excited, okay. 2,000, that's pretty good. I, you can tell, I don't put puzzles together at all. Puzzles frustrate me. If you put a 50-piece puzzle in front of me, I'm giving up in five minutes, right? If it's not done in five minutes, I'm, I'm done, right? Um, but I was doing some research and uh, thinking about you crazy people who do puzzles, and I was curious and wondering, you know, what's the biggest puzzle that anyone's ever done? And so I googled um, uh, Guinness World Record and, and found that the biggest puzzle, the, in terms of like the most pieces, uh, it consisted of, ready for this, 551,232 pieces. I'm done in five minutes, like I said, right? That's a lot, 551,000. I have a picture to show you that's the puzzle. It was done at a university in Vietnam, and it took 1,600 university students to piece it together. In total was 48 feet by 76 feet and had to be done, as you can see, in this auditorium, right? And so I'm sure, uh, not just me who hates puzzles, I'm sure even these crazy people who for whatever reason wanted to put together this impossible puzzle, I'm sure that even they had moments of frustration as they were putting it together. I'm sure they also had moments of paranoia, right? Like every time someone is going to the bathroom, you're checking to make sure that you didn't accidentally track like a piece out with you because if you... I don't know how long it took, but if you, I'm imagining days, right? If you get down to the last day and you find out that someone accidentally flushed it down the toilet or took it home in their pocket, right? I'm livid. And so I'm sure that they were full of paranoia. I'm sure that there were moments of frustration. But you know what? I doubt that at any point in time when they were piecing this thing together and they had the pieces in their hand that they, anyone ever stopped and said, huh, I wonder if this piece goes here. I wonder if this piece goes to this puzzle or if it's just useless, right? If you've ever 
you know, if you put together puzzles and, uh, and you take them fresh out the box, you, you have a trust in the manufacturer that all the pieces that are inside go to the puzzle. It's a different story if your kids get into it and dump it on the floor and then open another puzzle box, right? But, but when you get it from the manufacturer and you're putting the pieces together, you know every piece that's in that box belongs to that puzzle. But so often we, we look at the pieces of the story of our lives and we question whether or not those pieces belong, right? No matter how old you are, you could be 10 years old, you could be 20, 30, 50, 70 years old in this room tonight, but you know that all of the moments that you've lived up to this point have been pieces uh, being built together to create a picture or a story of your life. And even outside of the story and the picture of your own personal life, you know that there's a, a bigger story, the story of humanity. And I believe that, I know that that's the, the picture that God and Jesus in the moment of, of John chapter 16 was able to see that eternal perspective. In Romans chapter 8, Verses 17 through 19, it says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. You better believe no matter how many frustrating moments those 1,600 students at that university in Vietnam had, right? You better believe that at the end of it, when it was all put together, they were shouting, right? They were jumping for joy. They were excited and all got to share in the glory of that thing, right? No matter how many pieces, if you put one piece in, you got to point to it and say, I did that, right? I was a part of that. And I think that's what's going to happen. In fact, that's what it says here. When we get to heaven, we're going to look back at our lives. We're going to look back not only at our lives, but at the full story of humanity and see the full picture and, and think, man, I'm so happy I was a part of that one. But, but B, man, the glory of the whole picture is nothing compared to the small little piece that I so big in the moment, right? I think the picture of peace, the definition of peace for me is holding the parts of your story, whatever part that you have, and knowing in every moment that it fits the puzzle, right? That it fits a bigger picture that God is putting together and it's trusting the manufacturer that it's all going to make sense and it's all going to create a beautifully redemptive picture in the end. Can you imagine what could happen if you treated every potential cause for panic in your life, life as if it were a piece of, glory, of a glorious picture God was putting together, right? All the, the stress, all the anxiety, all the suffering. If you looked at that piece and, 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 and thought, man, but God is building a picture and he's going to use that. Whatever piece of your story you're holding in your hand today, know that God intends to use it for your glory, for his glory. But it says in Romans 8 that we get to share in it in the end, right? 
And not only for your glory, but for your good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And this verse had had special meaning to me uh, when I was in middle school, right? I kind of, I grew up in a, um, a Christian home. And, uh, you know, I, I read the Bible and I went to a Christian private school and I knew about God, but it really wasn't until middle school that I, I got serious and I got real with God in, in my relationship with him. But around that same time, it was also a really confusing time for me. It's confusing for any middle schooler, right? If you are in middle school, you can attest Uh, Or if you were in middle school, you can attest that middle school is frustrating. It's a scary, anybody, would anybody hop back in a time machine and go back to middle school? The answer is no, right, across the board. Oh, man, because why? Because you're trying to figure out who you are, and there's, there's so much stuff that, that's going through your head and, uh, about that. And, and so for me, I, I just remember being in middle school and just being frustrated, trying to figure out who I was because I, I didn't have a dad in my home. I grew up with a single mom uh, raising me, and I, I didn't have my biological father in the picture. And I remember just thinking, man, I don't have an example of what a man looks like, what masculinity looks like. Nobody ever taught me how to shave. If you don't believe me, you can, if you go far enough back in my Facebook pictures, you can see that. Uh, no one ever taught me how to shave. No, no one ever taught me how to, how to throw a football, right? And on top of that, I'm biracial, my mom's white, my dad's black, and so I'm a black kid with uh, three other black siblings, and our white mom is raising four black kids who are, again, wrestling with with our identity of of what does it mean even to be black, and, you know, and so I just remember in middle school just being really frustrated and just trying to figure out who I was and kind of mad at God for why, why, why did I, I know you're good, I know you love me and all that stuff, but if you love me, why did I? have to be in this broken home, right? And why did I have to be in this situation? And I, I remember, uh, I tell this story a lot because it's my testimony, but this moment of, of being in worship, much like we were tonight in middle school, and I could look around the room and see people raising their hands and wondered, they look weird, and why are they doing that? And, um, and God answered me, and he, he answered me with a, a vision, a picture uh, in my head, and he, he showed me you know, if you've ever been around a kid or a toddler that wants you to pick them up, they'll come right up to your feet, right? And then they'll lift their hands, and sometimes they'll jump up and down asking, begging you to pick them up. And I remember God giving me that picture and, and saying, that's why, right? Because they know that I'm their father. They know who they are, that they're my sons and that they're my daughters. And it was in that moment that I knew who I was, I understood, I started to understand at least, that I was a son and that I did have a father. But you know what drove me to that place? It was my desperate need for a father. It was my desperate need to want to know what it meant and what it felt like to be a son. And, And God used that. I don't think he intended it, but he used it for eternal good. And so, God, that's, that's just a, 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 my testimony, and, and, and sometimes God will, will show you before even you get to heaven how he's piecing things together for your good. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what part of the story you're in tonight, but I know that God has glory waiting for you in heaven and that his desire is that you will experience his goodness even here 
on earth. He has your glory and your good in mind and in heart, right? So the God or the peace of God is eternal. It's not based on a, on a right now perspective. And the peace of God is internal, not based on right here circumstances. So my daughter was sent to the principal's office for the first time in her academic career this past week. I say academic career. She's two years old. <laughs> She's been in school for two months. I never thought that my daughter would ever go to the principal's office, first of all. But I definitely didn't think that she would be going, being sent to the principal's office at two years old, two months into school, right? It's really childcare, but... And so, uh, yeah, I get this text from my wife uh, this week, and she, she texts me, Selah's in the principal's office. She pushed a boy down. He had to go to the ER. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, Selah, our daughter Selah, she's like that big, uh, not very coordinated or strong, right? She's super smart, but athleticism is not one of her things, right? She tackled a kid down on the playground and sent him to the ER. And so later I, I got the full story. Sweet Selah. She, she was just trying to hug this little boy. She's obsessed with babies. And so take note, if you have a baby, keep them away from my daughter tonight. Um, but right, she's obsessed with babies. And so there's a class that's younger than her. And so she saw this boy and just decided that he was a baby and was gonna take care of him. And instead she smothered him and pushed him to the ground and sent him to the ER, right? And so we had a problem. The problem was that Selah's uh, uh, intention, what was going on internally, her feeling was an affection, but it did not match her external expression, which resulted in concussion, right? And so Hannah, my wife, being an, the incredible mom that she is, she works at the school, um, and so she got the, the skinny from all of the teachers and borrowed some books from the school and brought her home that day and sat her down on the couch. And, and so we're with these books that talk about hugging and what does hugging look like and how do you do it <laughs> um, and how do you not do it, right? And, uh, and, and, and so, but, but Hannah, and we, we, have to, we have to now work with Selah to help her understand that, uh, to match, you know, what's going on inside with the external reality, Right? your thoughts and your feelings, let's align that with what's actually happening out here. All of us had to go through that. At some point, someone sat down with you and said, you think you're saying it right, but you're not. It's spaghetti, not paschetti, right? Someone had to sit you down and say, you think that your shoes are on the right feet, but they're not, right? Someone had to sit you down and explain to you that your internal perspective, that your thoughts and your feelings did not match the reality. And so hopefully most of us know how to put our shoes on the right feet and know how to say spaghetti in this room, right? But we struggle with the deeper things. We struggle with matching our, our feeling and our thoughts of peace with the reality. The problem is we've learned to match our thoughts and our feelings to our circumstances, to the wrong reality, to what we can see right here all around us. I'll give you an example. If my circumstances tell me I'm not going to have enough money, I worry. 
If my circumstances report to me a diagnosis I fear, if my circumstances tell me I'm not good enough or the deadline's too soon, I get anxious, right? We've been trained. We've trained ourselves. We, we know how to match our internal thoughts and our feelings to a reality, but it's our reality. It's our immediate right here circumstances. And so God wants to sit down on the couch with us and fix that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. In my mind, I, I imagine God saying what, what's happening on the inside, it's not matching with the reality. When you worry, when you feel like you, you have cause or reason to worry, sit down with me. Help me to adjust and align your thoughts and your feelings to my reality. It goes on to say, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I love that the eternal fact of our peace, that God is for our glory and for our good. The eternal fact of our peace gives way to the in internal feeling of peace. God doesn't want us to just know that he's for us and, and that, you know, he's for our glory and he's for our good. He wants it to affect our feelings. He wants to help us to guard our hearts and our minds. And so how do you do that? You, you guard your thoughts by aligning them to God's reality. I don't have it on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you can write down Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. And it says, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. These things, worry, consumes the thoughts of unbelievers. The difference between us and unbelievers is that we believe in a God who is good. We believe in a God who is glorious, and not only is he good and glorious, but that he's for our good and for our glory. And so our thoughts should be different than the thoughts of unbelievers. If you allow your thoughts of worry to linger, you're discrediting what you know to be true, that God is for your glory and your good. And so how do you do that? Easier said than done, right? But it tells us how. Seek the kingdom of God. You've got to align your thoughts to God's reality in prayer. People often point to the Lord's Prayer as, you know, the, the um, how, how do you learn how to pray? You look at the Lord's Prayer, which I think is, is good. But, but I think an even easier verse is this one in Philippians 4. What is prayer? It's just taking your initial sense of worry, running it to God, and giving it to him, right? It's trading your feeling of worry for his perspective. And so how do you seek the kingdom of God? How do you align your thoughts to God's reality? You go to him in prayer and ask him, to trade your sense of worry for something different. Help them to match your thoughts to what is true and what is real. How do I get my feelings to align his reality? Colossians 3.15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace 
and always be thankful. Just like it says in Philippians 4, you don't only go to God with your worries and ask for things. You, actually, you, you also go to God with thanksgiving, thanking him for the stuff that he's done already. But you know what? You can also thank him for what he's going to do. Because Romans 8, we have that, that picture of the future glory. And so what do you do with feelings of, of, of that, that oppose uh, your sense of peace? You go to God and give him thanks and allow him to realign it to his reality. If the fact of peace gives way to the feeling of peace, then the feeling of peace gives way to the fervor for peace. My last point is that the peace of God is purposeful, not based on right-by-me contentment. So I recently failed my barista. I go to a, um, the same Starbucks regularly, right? I, on a good week, I'll go like three times a week, and so I know all of the baristas there, and they know me. And, and so when I go in, like we usually have you know, just the basic how you doing and catching up on, you know, the superficial stuff that you say, right, uh, to your cashiers and to your baristas. But, uh, but this past week or the week before, I, I came in and my barista did the usual, how you doing? And I said, great, how are you? And, and she said, I'm okay. I could tell that there was something more behind that, right? And so I asked, well, just okay? Like, what, what's going on? And so she opened up. It was just, I think, a day after the Las Vegas shooting. And she was saying, like, it's just really weighing me down. And, and, and uh, on top of that, I have a friend whose family lives in Puerto Rico, and, and they lost everything to the hurricane. And, and so I did the exact wrong thing, right? She was seeking peace in that moment, and I offered her pontification, <laughs> I um I was have been preparing for this panel that I was just at last night on it's a it was a college uh, panel discussion uh, on God and evil and so I had been researching God and evil and how can evil exist in the world and so I had all this stuff prepared in my head for this uh, uh, panel and, and so I went to her with that right. I was saying, oh, it's cool, right? It's cool because you know what? Like evil in the world just proves God's existence and it's gonna be all right and and so I. I spoke at her, pontificated at her for about two minutes, but it felt like 20 because her eyes just started to kind of glaze over, and I realized, like, I'm not giving her what she needs in this moment, right? If we're not careful, we can let our personal sense of inner peace dull our senses to the suffering of others, right? I think, you know, because I had already kind of processed all of that. I had gone to God in prayer about, God, why? What is going on in our world? And, and had gotten to this place where not only did God, you know, give me a revelation of, of peace, but a sense of peace in how I felt and how I thought. And I thought that I could just transfer those feelings and those thoughts off on her, which is giving her some information. But she needed more than that. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that God is better than me, <laughs> that Jesus is better than us, because we've got a better picture and a better example of what to do in situations like that through Jesus. We opened up tonight in John chapter 16, in the last verse 33, Jesus explaining to his disciples peace, that you can be in a world full of disorder and and chaos, and still have peace, explaining it to them. 
But then immediately after, in John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed. And who did he pray for? Remember, this is moments before he was about to be betrayed, arrested, murdered. Who did he pray for? He prayed for his disciples. This is what he says. He said, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. My prayer is not for the world. How many of you guys, when you were a kid and you said your bedtime prayers, you prayed for the world, right? God, I pray for all the people and, like, everyone's sick, and I pray that you will heal them, and anyone's sad, and I pray that you'll make them happy, uh, and, and I just pray that there's no more war, Right? That's how we pray when, when we're kids, and that's awesome, right, uh, as a child. But as a 29-year-old, I, I hope that my prayer life has gone beyond that. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He, he's saying if you're still praying general, broad brush prayers for the world, because let's be honest, we're in depth with our stuff. When we go into prayer, we're, we're telling God about every single uh, zero on, uh, in, that we are in debt, right? We're, we're telling him all the details of our situation, but so often it, it's so easy to just pray for the world and to pray for the people who are hurting. But Jesus goes further. He prays not for the world, but for those you have given me. For Jesus, that was the disciples, the people closest to him. He had a sense of peace himself, but he was purposeful with that. And if we want to be pur purposeful about helping others experience peace, we've got to make it personal. Right? We've got to make it personal. We've got to look at the people in our lives, our baristas, our our uncles and our aunts and our brothers and our sisters and our wives and our husbands and our coworkers and our, and our classmates. We got to look at those people, the people that God has given us in our sphere of influence and ask, how can I pray for them? I might be good. I might be good, but how can I pray for this specific person? That's where I failed. I thought that I could just kind of transfer my peace over to her, but what I should have done is just prayed, right? My, prayers, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. I love that part because it shows us that Jesus uh, wasn't interested in rushing past the process. For us, our peace comes when we go to God, ask for his eternal perspective, and comprehend, understand, have a revelation of our belonging. Like I understood, I had this revelation that I was a child of God and it gave me eternal perspective. God wasn't, Jesus wasn't skipping that step. He was uh, going, uh, uh, starting from, from square one, not thinking that he can just transfer his feelings over to the disciples. He was willing to look at them and, and pray that they would have a revelation of who God is. And so how do people get that revelation? It's not by us telling, it's by us showing. How do they know that they belong to God? Because you show them they belong to you, that their pain, that their suffering isn't just theirs to deal with on their own, but that you're willing to shoulder the weight of it as well. That's the example that we have in Christ. And then 
he continues to pray in John chapter 17, verse 19, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Wasn't it the truth of God that freed our thoughts and feelings so that they can be aligned, right, to his will and to his perspective? It was the reality of God that shifted our thoughts and our feelings away from right now circumstances. And here Jesus is, again, going through the process, praying that God would help to align the internal life of these disciples to his truth. And he wasn't willing for them uh, to, he wasn't praying that they would have to do it alone. He, he even says, I will give myself as a holy sacrifice. Galatians 6.2, that's what we're called to do, share each other's burdens. And so it can be really easy, right? When, when we've gotten to a place of peace, if you've walked with God for any amount of time, let's not be Christians who are passive with our peace. Let's be purposeful, right? But let's be intentional. Let's see the people who are suffering around us within our sphere of influence and not settle for our own contentment because that's not the aim. That's not the goal of the peace of God anyway. I want to invite the band up as we close. An eternal peace, an internal peace, if not applied to an external purpose, leads to passivity. I don't want to be passive about the peace that God's given me. I want my perspective and my experience of peace to be purposeful, to not be an experience within myself, but one that I help others experience, that I walk them through the process like Jesus did and like Jesus does. So the peace that God gives us is oxymoronic, right? Like it says in Philippians 4, it just don't make sense, right? It surpasses our understanding. It doesn't match our perspective. The peace of God doesn't match our circumstances. And what's even crazier is once we get a sense of peace, he asks us to turn back around and go find someone who's suffering so that you can help uh, shoulder the weight of their burden and walk them through peace with them. Peace on earth is oxymoronic. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It surpasses our understanding, but it's possible. And it's only possible because it's supernatural. The peace of God doesn't come by anything that we can do ourselves within our own strength, within our own might. I just want to invite you to stand as we're about to, to go into worship. But I, I, even more than just standing, I want to invite you to use this moment I don't know where you are in your story. I don't know what part of your puzzle that, that, that you're holding in your hand tonight. You may be wrestling with the eternal perspective. Maybe you're having a hard time grasping and believing that God is really in it for your glory and for your good. That might be you tonight, and you, you're not going to get that perspective from me. I can't transfer that over to you. It's only going to come through God. Maybe tonight what you're wrestling with is your circumstances. You're looking at, at your situation and you're thinking, I can't. It's impossible for me to think or feel peace on the inside because on the outside, it, it, just, it doesn't match. 
I want to encourage you to use this moment as we go into the presence of God. I can't transfer it over to you. Only he can do that. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I'm good, right? I got the peace thing down and, and, and I, I'm good with that. Well, then maybe you can use this as an opportunity for God to put some people on your heart who have been going through some things and you've missed it. Maybe you've prayed superficially about it, but God wants to, to supernaturally empower you to be able to, to walk the journey towards peace with those people. So as we continue to worship, I pray you use it as an opportunity to seek out peace from the only person who can give it. So worship tonight. Shit. 